I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 23rd, 1998. We are at the Shrine Auditorium in beautiful L.A., where we are celebrating the best movies of 1997 at the 70th Annual Academy Awards with our favorite, Mr. Billy Crystal, back for a sixth time to preside over the ceremonies. And it is now time for the big award of the night, the envelope, please. And the Oscar goes to... Titanic! Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, Please. This is a podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. And we are your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance? Yes. <laughs> I think so. You look like Rance, Sam? so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Sam? R- Sam? R- R- Rance? Sam? <laughs> Come back, Rance. Come back. I won't let go, Sam. <laughs> I'll never let go. Oh, super duper. We're back with Billy Crystal. Uh, yes. How wonderful. He had a he did his little jingle at the very beginning where he uh he uh Titanic uh he introduces all the best picture nominees through a song and Titanic he used Gilligan's Island as his um as his little uh mocking theme. So like just sit right back and you're like, whoa, just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a giant ship, you know. And, Perfect. <laughs> um, and uh, then he, uh, you know, with As Good As It Gets, he used the song Let's Call the Whole Thing Off. Um, and then he used Hello, Dolly for um, for uh, uh, the full Monty at the end. So it was a it's it's quite entertaining. And I love there's lots of jokes in this ceremony about the youth on display Um Meaning, like, how Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon are upstarts at this point. Yes. And it's really interesting to look back on this ceremony, you know, which was uh, 24 years ago is when it was held, celebrating movies from 25 years ago, um, when there seems to be almost uh, pa- torch passing going on, because there are a lot of, um, a lot of older uh, people... Uh, nominated with lots of younger people. You know, sure. you got Julie Christie and you have uh, and Kate Winslet. Uh, and <laughs> Kate Winslet, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you have some older people like Judy Dench who are nominated again this year, you know? So... Um, <laughs> who will uh, never go away. <laughs> who will never go away. And you got Matt Damon nominated against Jack Nicholson and Peter Fonda and Dustin Hoffman and Robert Duvall. It's a very... Um, true. It's, it's a very intergenerational ceremony. Very true. And we also tied the record again this year for most nominations for a movie, Titanic... Coming in with 14 nominations, tying All About Eve with most noms, and tying for first with most wins with 11 Oscars, yes. uh, which up until this point was only shared with Ben-Hur, will be later shared with the final Lord of the Rings installment as well. 
Um, which I don't think was a surprise to anybody. I'm pretty sure it was sort of a foregone conclusion that Titanic was going to sweep, and sweep it did. It, it has a, you know, Titanic, I'm sure most of us are familiar with Titanic in one way or another at this point. We've certainly all seen memes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Titanic is, is so fascinating because if you go back in history in April 1998 when the ceremony took place, um, March, excuse me, March 1998, um, they... Um, Titanic uh, had this weird box office run that was a it's like a total anomaly it opened number one and then stayed the top movie um, for months and uh, and never had an opening weekend the way that a Marvel movie does where it makes 200 million in its opening weekend and that's how it ends up making five six seven hundred million domestically this movie made its money it was in theaters nine months and for three or four months it was making 20 million plus every weekend right and it had its highest grossing day on valentine's day uh, 1998 um of course valentine's of course. day but that, <laughs> this would be but the that ultimate was, valentine's day movie <laughs> but that was two months after it went into release it had its highest right. grossing day like that's it's insane the way this movie performed. Because it's like it opened at number one, and then even through word of mouth, that's what kept it at number one month after month after month. So not only was it, it received had... positively upon initial release, it also benefited by word of mouth too, which is crazy that it would keep um, staying in the public mindset that long. And it had strong competition too. It opened against... Um, Tomorrow Never Dies, a, a Bond movie, and you know the Pierce Bros- Brosnan Bond movie has made tons of money, and uh, that still made tons of money, but it never made it to number one because it was up against, it was up against Titanic that whole time. So you know it's not like other big stuff didn't come out. It just Titanic was, uh, and even though I was quite young when this came out, and I did not see it in theaters, this was not something my parents deemed appropriate for me. Um, I, I was very aware of the furor it was causing. Definitely. So, Definitely. Um, it was a big movie and we're going to get way more into Titanic don't at the latter half was, of this episode. I think I just, Fuhrer's just a, a dictator in, in, in Nazi Germany. I don't know why I use that. Do I mean fervor? I think I mean fervor. Fervor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Something else that was kind of cool that happened this year, again, we have Mm -hmm. the leading actor and leading actress Oscars going to the same movie. Yes. Um, Has happened, you know, sporadically throughout. Which is as good as it gets. That was (laughs) wonderful, 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 wonderful. So you're telling me, Sam, that this is uh, the most recent year to date that we have had both the Best Actor and Best Actress Oscars go to the same person. Correct. Um, and the previous ones, in case anyone is interested, were It Happened One Night, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Network, Coming Home, On Golden Pond, and The Silence of the Lambs. Boom. So it hasn't happened oh. that often. No, it hasn't. Although there was this period in the late 70s, early 80s, 76, 78, 81. Can I happen? Oh, 75, 76, 78, 81. That's, Boom. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Like, that's a... 
75 to 81 is a six-year period, and it happened four times. That is crazy. You know? Yeah. It also happened one night. So that was not in that six years. <laughs> that was a it little was outside like, of that period, but um, <laughs> by about 40 years. But um, <laughs> Pretty interesting, uh, though. That ha- has not happened in a while. We've had... Uh, people nominated from both. We have that happening in this coming award ceremony. Both uh, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are nominated for being the Ricardos this year. But Correct. Um, we'll probably only see one of them winning. We come to this place for Oscars. <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim. They basically they should just have Nicole Kidman host the Oscars. <laughs> I actually saw an argument that we've all gone to the movies with Nicole all year long, so we should um we should see her as our our host this year. And I would not be mad about that. I would not be mad about that either. No, I love this double win for as good as it gets. I think it's a really, really great movie, and I love both these performances in it. So this is one of those double wins that I really, really enjoy. Yeah, but, I don't have a problem actually with any of the double wins in retrospect, by the way. Agreed. So. Agreed. But are there some movies that you think were left off the nominations? Let's get into some snubs, Rance. Tell Let's me which it. ones you think missed out. Um, first of all, I think there is a brilliant leading actress performance that was uh, completely left off, I think because of uh, genre prejudice. Mm. Okay. Um, and that is Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding. Mmm. I like that. Um, My Best Friend's Wedding, in case you guys haven't seen it, um, it's about two people who, um, are very good friends who agree, who have agreed to get married if they're not married by, I think it's like 30. 30, yeah. (laughs) Yes, which is really depressing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't relate, cannot Um, relate. Uh, and then right not long before they are 30, um, he gets engaged to Cameron. It's, uh, it's, uh, Delmar, oh my gosh, his name. Dermot um, Mulroney. Dermot, I couldn't, yeah, Dermot Mulroney, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is fun. Try again. Dermot, Dermot, Dermot Mulroney. Mulroney. There it is. Dermot Mulroney. Wow. <laughs> Who knew that would be a tongue twister for me? Never had to say that out loud. Um, I really hope that I never have to. I never have to present an I Adele Nazim him. Anyway, he uh, it's Julia Roberts who he's supposed to, who's his best friend, but he ends up engaged, and she's invited to the wedding of his wedding to Cameron Diaz. Okay, um, and then she also has a the the stereotype of the gay best friends character is this in this movie and that is of course played by Rupert Everett who is wonderful always um and so um she ends up going to the wedding weekend and she decides that she's gonna break it up and confess that she loves him I I, I realize this comes at a very inopportune time but I really have this gigantic favor to ask of you choose me Marry me. Let me make you happy. And then the movie does not take the traditional route of how a romantic comedy would take this even but at all. And there's a lot of times where Julia Roberts' character is not even that likable. 
No. Uh, uh, she's a hard one to root for because she's really not in the right at all for most of the movie. And her coming to terms with that, spoiler, is kind of the point of the movie. Um, and I think it is a definite cut above most rom-coms far and away. Um, in the fact that it isn't even really a rom-com, honestly. Um, and Julia Roberts gave a lot of these types of performances in the 90s in movies that are a little bit more stereotypical and how they play out. Um, she was nominated for Pretty Woman, which is wonderful. But I think this is the superior performance. Uh, well, I think it's a superior role to play, honestly. I think that this is a more difficult character. Um, and I think it shows uh, her... To make someone who, who can be so unlikable and off-putting um, into somebody that we, the audience, still get behind, that's not mm -hmm. easy to do. And yeah. that's something that I think... Um, that I, I think she pulls off in a really wonderful way. So if you haven't seen My Best Friend's Wedding, Julia Roberts is fantastic in it. I also would have loved to have seen, speaking of comedies, I would have loved to have seen Kevin Klein for in and out um, I think in and out is wonderful. It is one of the first really mainstream gay films. And uh, Kevin Klein is not family, but he does family proud in his very nuanced performance um all of it's based on a real story that took that is oscar history as well about how tom hanks uh kind of accidentally outed someone in his philadelphia acceptance speech and uh this is about kevin klein being accidentally outed and what happens there and joan cusack did get a supporting actress nomination fuck barbara streisand and she's fantastic she's always fantastic Joan Cusack is wonderful. Um, but uh, there's lots of other people in the supporting class, including Debbie Reynolds, who could have been represented in this movie, who are absolutely wonderful. Um, also, real quickly, I will also mention that I'm not going to put this in a category. I just want to take this opportunity to say there are, two, <laughs> there are two slasher films that came out this year, and I think both of them are really fun. And overlooked, not overlooked, that's the wrong word, or maybe not given the credit they are due. One of them got particularly bad reviews upon release that I think are unjustified. It's called I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Gotcha. So I just want to take this podcast platform to say, give it another chance. It's really fun. It is fun. It's a lot of fun. And Scream 2, I think, is a legitimately great sequel. And... I don't think it maybe shouldn't be nominated for screenplay like Scream was, but it does have, in my opinion, the scariest scene of the Scream franchise, or the most tense, the most suspenseful, whenever they're climbing over uh, Ghostface in the car. Mm, yeah. Oh, that is a really good scene. You're right. Yeah. Very suspenseful. Okay. I just wanted the opportunity to, to call those out. And now we can go on to your stumps. I love that. I only have a couple, actually. I really like this crop of nominees in the films that are represented this year. Um, both of my snubs are in the screenplay category. And the first one is My Best Friend's Wedding. I think Ronald Bass's screenplay is far and away one of the best romantic comedy or just comedy screenplays of the 90s. It's a true gem. It's a gem, and I agree with you. Julie Roberts is wonderful. But I think the reason why we say... 
that this may be a better performance, a more like dimensional performance than let's say a pretty woman is due to the screenplay and the script she was given. I think full credit kind of goes there and I would have loved to have seen it pop up in screenplay. The other screenplay nomination I would have loved to have seen here is for the movie Waiting for Guffman. Christopher oh Guest and Eugene I, Levy's screenplay. I love that. So fun. Love so, that. so fun. Um, I love that we're highlighting a lot of genre films, too. And Waiting for Guffman is just such a fun and unique movie where, you know, you watch it and it genuinely feels like you're watching improv. And for the, you know, for a lot of it, you are. They do a lot of improv in the movie as well. But that shouldn't take away from the structure of the screenplay and how all the events unfold and play out. That is very specific. And I think this is kind of a difficult movie to pull off. This These sort of like um, satire sort of improvisational films. Yeah, Very, very challenging. And I think yeah. every character and every actor in this movie is operating at full comedic chops. Um, and this is one of those, you know, um, movies that sort of has, um, what do you call it, like a MacGuffin sort of um, in the screenplay where it's about putting on this show for the character of Guffman who's going to come and watch the production. Will he ever show? Who is this person? What are we doing this for? And sort of sort of like a um, waiting for Godot type of a situation, you know, kind of took that. It's the name. Hence the name. name. It (laughs) takes that, runs with it, sort of flips it on its head and makes it into a really funny and engaging movie. Uh, And I think that is very difficult to pull off. So I think the script should have absolutely been highlighted here. I I completely agree. And um, uh, let's remember, let's bring up when we talk about Titanic and and discuss what we think the MacGuffin in that movie is, because I... (laughs) think that would be an interesting conversation hysterical <laughs> <laughs> well, let's um, delve a little deeper so let's pull out some spotlights here um you can what go do ahead. you want to spotlight you okay then i'll go ahead i want um, you to talk first <laughs> okay cool 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 i want to talk about one of my favorite movies which is nominated for best picture this year is la confidential L.A. Confidential is a, a crime drama that brings film noir into the 90s. It is what a lot of people would call a neo-noir. Um, and it has all the elements you're looking for. It has, uh, you know, the, the, the tough detectives, and it has the, uh, the, the, the really interesting architecture and shadowy lighting and, and all of the, um, the beautiful uh, L.A cityscapes that are also kind of dark and gritty and twisted and and it feels like you're taking like a 40s bogart movie and putting it putting it in the 90s which is what i love so much about la confidential i want to specifically spotlight um my favorite performance in the film the iconic kim basinger (laughs) yes who plays (laughs) a um who plays a high class uh sex worker in the movie um she is a uh, model she is she works for an agency where the where the uh the the uh the talent is supposed to be proxies for famous movie stars and she's supposed to look like veronica lake and she has a veronica lake hair peek peekaboo who peekaboo haircut with the 
hair going over one eye most of the time. She looks absolutely stunning. Um, and she has one of my, and it was on display um, a few years ago when they did the preview of the Academy Museum with all the costumes. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. They did a preview and they had a ton of costumes there. And they had the costume that is the most iconic, which is like the hood, the black and white hood that she wears. Um, but Kim Basinger had been around in Hollywood. That one, the one that's in the book. Yes. <laughs> um, Kim Basinger had been around in Hollywood for, uh, for a while. Um, she was known for being Mrs. Alec Baldwin at the time. Um, and she had played uh, kind of the girl in a bunch of movies, including in the unofficial James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. She was also Vicki Vale in the first Tim Burton Batman movie as well. And so she wasn't really known as like serious actress at this point. And then, um, and then she came in and did this like really tragic role in in L.A. Confidential, where she becomes this Lauren Bacall-esque um, modern-day, uh, f- uh, 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 what's the, a femme fatale, and she just knocks it out of the park. And I, I absolutely love her. Um, she has the scene where Guy Pierce, who uh, plays the more, like, who's, like, the, the more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? The, he's he's working with Russell Crowe, but he's the more straight-laced detectives. Yeah. We got these two Australian guys both playing. He's more like uh, by the book, rule book, yeah. I love, this is also, there's so many Australians in this movie, and they all do better American accents than Americans. I just want to say, I absolutely worship Australian actors. Um <laughs> And and we'll we'll get there more and more and more because this is when the takeover really begins. But um, uh, it's him, the two of them, and then Simon Baker also has a really significant role in the movie. He's Australian. It's a very uh, Australian heavy, heavy movie. So um, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. There you go. Um, oi, oi, for- oi. Thank you. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, Guy Pierce is the more straight-laced one, and he goes over to, you know, call on um, uh, Kim Basinger, and I, there's just this wonderful scene between the two of them that, um, she's just incredible. That's that's all I have to say. Kim Basinger is, is wonderful, and I love a story where somebody who is um, mm. over 40 in Hollywood really hits their stride. Um, especially in the 90s when that really, really wasn't happening. So True. So I'm actually glad you pulled out this performance because, I'm not going to lie, the supporting actress category this year is stacked. Oh, it's really good. It's so good. You already mentioned Joan Cusack, In and Out, who I would give an Oscar to for sneezing on camera. And I love that they nominated that because, again, like comedies don't get that type of attention often. And she's brilliant. But besides that, there's... Mini Driver and Goodwill Hunting, which is also yes. one of my favorite performances. Yes. Yes. You've got, of course, Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights. Brilliant performance. And then <laughs> the, the ma'am herself, Gloria Stewart in Titanic. I mean, all five of these are genius performances. It's Fantastic. really difficult picking the one. Is Kim Basinger your favorite of the five? You know, I, I like her story the best for winning. Mm-hmm. 
Um, based purely on performance, I don't know if I, it'd be a tough call. I think I don't think anybody's a bad choice, honestly. Honestly, like I can yeah. see, I can see a narrative for every single one, and I like mm-hmm. all of the narratives. I think Kim Basinger's. Uh, I like that this really validates her career as a serious actress, and I like that for her. Um, and you know, the uh, Gloria Stewart. Obviously, this was like a, a full circle thing for her. Oh yes. uh, And Joan Cusack, Minnie Driver, and Julianne Moore have all gone on to have really great careers in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. So, I think that. I think I'm good with with how it played out. So, Not would bad. you pick? Would you pick? Uh... Who do you think? <laughs> Mini Driver. Yeah, that is my okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mini <Yeah>. Driver. <laughs> I do love her. I do love Mini good Driver. Good call. Good call. Yeah, love that. Okay, I want to spotlight a category that we really haven't talked a whole lot about, like ever. Okay, hold on. I'm going to discuss. Can guess. No, no, no. Can you guess? <laughs> is it best live action short film? You're very close. I'm going to do animated short film. Okay. Ah, oh, man, it was so close. You were so close. <laughs> no, so this year, the winner of best animated short goes to Jerry's Game, which is a Pixar short film and probably my favorite animated short of all time. I love this short so much. I can remember vividly when I saw it for the first time. It was, they put it before A Bug's Life in its theatrical release. I remember seeing that in theaters and watching yep. this in the theaters before yep. and being like, first of all, just being like, what is this? Why are we watching this mini movie before the big movie? You know, like six-year-old Sam did not know what was going on. But being absolutely captivated by it, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you know what it is. It's the the elderly gentleman from Toy Story 2 who fixes Woody up um, after he's taken by the guy who's going to sell him. It's that elderly man character. This is where he first appears in this short film. And he goes to the park to play a game of chess against himself. But he creates these two separate personas where when he's playing on one side of the chessboard, he has his glasses on. And then he switches to the other side of the chessboard and he takes his glasses off. One is more of a sort of a cocky version of himself. And the other version is a more timid version of himself. And they play chess against each other. And it's really, really fun to see it kind of revolve between these two versions of one person. And in the end, one wins. And they're basically playing over who gets to wear the dentures. But it's the same guy. Very interesting concept. Love that. But what is super interesting about this is that we have had, in some form or fashion or another, a best animated short film category since the 1930 since 1932 actually is when this was introduced and of course Walt Disney has won the most in this category 12 wins been nominated 39 times good gracious but it's just so baffling to me that we've had an animated short category since the 30s but we didn't get an animated feature category until 2001 and it's, I just think that's strange. very interesting isn't that strange? strange especially with the takeoff of Disney with the first um, feature-length animated film in 1939, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So we've been having 37. animated... Oh, 37, thank you. Late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> we've had feature-length animation for a very long time, and it took forever for the Academy to introduce it as an actual category. And I just wanted to ask you, why do you think that is? Why do you think we chose to highlight short subjects before feature length i well i think that um 
I, I think that for a very long time, um, animated films were were just considered movies that kids watched, you know? And as such, they didn't really need their own category because you're not going to award best children's film, mm-hmm. you know? Also, there probably wasn't maybe enough being made to have a separate category every single year. Um, I you think know, you're right. You would, you would probably have two or three. I mean, I think they only have three nominees now, but uh, you'd only have, is it three or do they do a full five? We've got like five now. Yeah, there's been times when it's less, right? Did I make that up? There has been. No, you're absolutely correct. Okay. And I think, yeah, you're right. I just think that it was maybe not enough for being made, and um, and they weren't being viewed as as it was. They, uh, the Academy has always has had separate categories for shorts, but they've always just put movies, narrative fiction films all together. Even mm-hmm. when there were separate black and white and color categories, they still put all the fiction stuff together for the big the big awards and i think that they just probably assumed you know like with beauty and the beast you know they fi- figured if something was good enough they'd get in it'll get into best picture and i think you're right though i think disney pretty much had a monopoly on feature-length animation for decades and decades and decades it was very it, hard for other studios to compete with them and it wasn't until the the disney re- renaissance in the 90s and then the rise of Pixar that I really think that the the clamor for that animated feature film really picked up steam. This is around the was, period where people are parting, are making that argument. Definitely, and that's what sort of made it become more of um, like a legit cinema, if you will. You know, it's taken is, more seriously, I guess, because Pixar especially really started to not only make their films geared toward kids but also toward adults because they knew these kids are going to see these movies the adults are coming with them we need to do something to keep the adults engaged as well and i think in making that change of we're not just making this for children anymore that's what kind of exploded animation to what it is now you know we have tons of animated movies that i think gear more towards adults than they do for children even this is the first, I believe, uh, the first win for Pixar in animated short. Am I correct? Yeah. You are correct. Yes, you are. And it's also their first... Um, it was their first time they featured a human being as the main character in any of their animated shorts, live actions, what have you. Um, there you go. There you go. But I love it. I love this short film. If you haven't, you can find it pretty much anywhere. It's such a gem. It's five minutes long. But this is also what started my love affair with the shorts category. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things to do every Oscar season is go and see the five nominees for live action short and animated short. They usually play them in like AMCs around the area. It is such a fun thing to do because you can tell so much in under 10 minutes. And the challenge of that is what makes these movies work so well i just i think they're fasting i love them amazing so um sam sam rans sam (laughs) rans i'll never let go i promise (laughs) it's not funny it's not funny it's too soon (laughs) um shall we shall we do this let's talk about titanic All right, I, 
have to start out with a confession. I've seen chunks of Titanic on television over the years, but I've never watched it from start to finish. Ever? Yes, I've never Ever? watched it from sitting start to finish. Um, technically, right, how about I you tell it. us? I want you to give us a plot then. <laughs> What's the plot of Titanic? <laughs> well, technically, I did. I did give it. I. I technically, I did watch it over. I watched half of it last night and half of it this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you could say I split the Titanic into two. But wow, good for you, Mr. Iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. I'm so sorry. I'm going to hell. So I'm really enjoying um, it. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> um, but I. I gotta say, greatly, much more enjoyed uh, the movie today than yesterday. Um, I I think it's a really, let me just top line this before people hate me. I think Titanic is a really, really good movie. I just want to say that. It is a very competently made, absolutely just visually stunning um, I think that there is, I think Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio are like the height of um Hollywood star power they they are so magnetizing to watch no matter what words are coming out of their mouth or how many times they say each other's character names um I <laughs> think that uh Titanic is a really great movie the movie itself in case you don't know there was this ship in 1912 called the Titanic and it hit an iceberg and uh sank into the ocean um James Cameron was very interested in the Titanic and uh was interested in making a documentary about the Titanic, and he did end up making a documentary about it, um, but he decided he wanted to make a whole movie out of the dives that he was doing, and he ended up doing 12 different um, dives to get incredible film footage of, um, of the Titanic, which is shown extensively, particularly in the beginning of the movie. Um, and some of the footage that they show... I mean, like, at first I was like, are they, is that, are they really there? Because there's stuff, there's the lower quality footage that you can tell is real, but if you read, the the higher quality footage is real, too. Mm-hmm. The lower quality footage is what they're saying the, the ship in the movie is getting, but the higher quality footage is also from the dives where they very dangerously took these, you know... <laughs> super 35 millimeter cameras and I, I mean like that just blows my mind with digital technology you could see that being a little bit more feasible but they were doing this with with film cameras just mm-hmm. process that in your head um so um it, at the literal bottom of the ocean um so uh the footage is absolutely insane and um anyway so they uh the movie is populated mainly with fictional um characters uh although there are lots of people who really did exist who are represented in the film um including the ship builder and the captain and um and the unsinkable molly brown who really went by margaret brown and never went by molly that is completely um fictitious and has been and it was what was popularized later thanks to a musical starring Debbie Reynolds. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is actually the second time, not the second time. This is Molly Brown, I think has been represented on screen several different times. I think she's in yeah, the other adaptations. So. Um, this movie s- takes its story, uh, which is about Kate Winslet who plays Rose 
and Rose comes onto the ship, and she really hates her life. She's uh, seems like she's a spoiled little rich girl, but really her mom's making sure she's going to marry Billy Zane because Billy Zane has money, and they are out of money. And uh, Billy Zane is an asshole. Um, he's gorgeous, but he's an asshole. <laughs> Just really quickly. Gorgeous. I don't usually... I'm not usually into such tailored eyebrows, but man, I... <laughs> Yes, he knows there how is, to pluck a brow. He there is nothing off about that face. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Billy Zane can get it. <laughs> and honestly, I was almost an apologist up to the moment he slaps her. Like I, I <laughs> that was too far. That was that the was line he crossed. Line. It. I was like, okay, I won't do abuse, but I <laughs> just saying. But I'm if you don't like Picasso, it. whatever, we can get along. <sighs> Uh, we'll get there. Um, we'll so, <laughs> um, so then she meets this guy who just happens to win the money to get in this ship, and he's in steerage, and that is, of course, Jack, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, in his first major screen role. He was not a star at this point. He had been nominated for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, but he was not a full-fledged movie star. In fact, nobody in this movie... With the possible exception of Kathy Bates, was really a full-pledged movie star at this point. And Kathy Bates certainly wasn't a box office star. She was just really well-known because of movies like Fried Greens, Tomatoes, and and Misery. But um, that was why this movie was such a humongous gamble. Because James Cameron had had a bunch of big hit films, and Paramount really wanted them. And so they just kind of let them have carte blanche on Titanic, which meant the budget got way way out out of control it looked like it was going to be a tremendous um sinking ship uh as you would say but audiences were compelled by this um romeo and juliet type romance where you have the guy who's in steerage who's the little upstart who's helping to liberate the woman who's being held in chains if you will into her um her uh you know, upper crust lifestyle that she just wants to break free from and that is making her miserable. And so then through the course of events, this iceberg hits the ship and it's sinking and then Rose and Jack uh, decide they want to be together and they try to escape together. Mm -hmm. And then lots of other stuff happens. That's in a nutshell what it is. So by the numbers here, folks, this movie is three hours and 15 minutes long. Most will probably remember that this is split into two VHS tapes. I think this was like this and Sound of Music were the two that my family owned that were two VHS tapes. I was like, okay. I think I maybe I'm I think it's one of the best selling, if not the best selling VHS. That would make all the sense. You talked about the budget. This movie did balloon to a $200 million budget, but it did fairly well at the box office. It, um, yes. <laughs> it took home <laughs> $2.2 billion at the box office, one of the highest grossing movies worldwide. of all time. Worldwide box office, Including yes. a re-release in twenty. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, um, still, fair share of... Fair share of money being brought in. 14 nominations, 11 wins. Mm-hmm. One of those nominations 
or I guess one of the nominations it missed out on, though, is Best Screenplay. I want to talk about the Let's screenplay talk about with it. you. Because I agree with you. I, I love Titanic. It's hard to hate Titanic. There's a lot to enjoy. But there checks is so many a boxes. lot to pick apart. And I think we need to pick apart the screenplay because... This is sort of unprecedented. There have only been a handful of movies that have won Best Picture without even being nominated for screenplay. Those and movies are sweeping. Well, exactly. Yeah, and a but lot of them what are, are the, the other ones? A lot of them are the are earlier films where you know there were Brand less Hill. movies being nominated, split into yeah. weird categories. So there are Wings, Broadway Melody, Grand Hotel, Cavalcade, Hamlet, Sound of Music. And then Titanic seven. They didn't give they didn't give Shakespeare a nomination for Hamlet. How dare they? What the heck? Um, How the, dare they? What were the last two? I'm sorry, I got lost in my Shakespeare joke. The last two are The Sound of Music and then Titanic. Okay, I would say, I I would say Sound of Music is written perfectly fine, and I wouldn't have minded it having a nomination. And also, Grand Hotel came out in a weird year for the Oscars, but it would it should have gotten a writing nomination. Now, all of that said, um, and Grand Hotel only got one nomination, and that's a, a crock of It was best picture. Anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> weird year, weird year. That's where Joan Crawford should be most upset about not being nominated for something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but in the present day, and by the present day, I mean 1997 in 1912. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I, like, okay, as I said, I've seen chunks of this over the years, but I've never watched it start to finish. It was just like, I was too young to see it in theaters, and then it was just like one of those things you're supposed to see, but my parents never had the DVD, and I just never ended up watching it for whatever reason. And um, I just saw parts on TV here and there, because it would play on, like, TBS a lot. And, um... Watching it from start to finish, it's it's kind of shocking, honestly, um, some of the dialogue. Because it's just, it's very on-the-nose dialogue. I think that James Cameron <laughs> is an absolutely brilliant director, but I don't think it's groundbreaking for me to point out. Mo- a lot of people question his writing capabilities. I think the beats of the movie, as far as what happens in the story, I think everything makes sense. And I think it's a well-structured story. I would have loved to have had somebody go over this dialogue, though. Because, For the love of um, God, yes. <laughs> I I don't like the I don't like the whole like um, the there it's this artist Picasso something like I I don't or something Picasso like I don't it's so like hokey and um, yes. uh and it's 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 a, a joke that's in like a um. It, it, it's a joke that would be in a show. It would make sense in a show like Boston Legal or so, something, you know, an irreverent television show that makes stupid jokes on purpose. But mm-hmm. that's not what Titanic is trying to be referential in a weird way. Um, and there's that the way they work in humor is is interesting. Like I thought it was a little odd to have the laugh moment whenever uh, Rose is trying the axe and she doesn't hit it in the same place like at all twice i i thought like little bits of business like that were just interesting inclusions i don't know (laughs) um what i don't think they really served to do i just think they made her look kind of dumb and i didn't love that um you know um i think it would have been fine 
with her just, you know, there was water rushing into the room. Just throw the axe on the, on the damn, <laughs> on the damn thing, you know? Um, but, uh, there's also, like, whenever, um, I understand it was an ad lib, but the Freud line, uh, just referencing, um, referencing things that are current then, the way the screenplay was written made it feel like they're trying to say, see, this takes place in 1912. <laughs> and I, I was like, Ugh. it's really cringe. It's really, really cringe. That's exactly what my problem is, too. It's like, <laughs> James Cameron is trying so hard to write dialogue in the voice of someone who was alive back then. And it does come across incredibly inauthentic. And you highlighted some of the parts where I think it's most noticeable. And I think it's in the first half of the movie. All the courting scenes between DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, Jack and Rose, so awkward when they're walking around the ship before he shows her the sketch pad and then they're practicing spitting off the side of the boat. Just all of these things are just so weird and so bizarre. And it, I think there's just, there's literally a line where DiCaprio goes, well, Rose, we've been walking about a mile around this ship now and you still haven't told me this. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, Rose, we've walked about a mile around this boat deck and chewed over how great the weather's been and how I grew up, but I reckon that's not why he came to talk to me, is it? No, no, that's not awkward. Well, it's also like, um, there's a few little inconsistencies that, okay, so they make such a deal out of, uh, the people searching for them and almost catching them having sex in the car. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet, um, and also whenever, uh, whenever they catch Jack and they think he's there, that he's trying to assault her, Mm -hmm. um, and they, um, and you know, like the security is like all up on him because of that. And yet, they don't have any issues standing at the bow of the ship and <laughs> and yeah. having this big romantic "I'm flying Jack" moment. Which I don't want that moment to be taken away. It's it's, it's iconic in cinema. It's it's a beautifully shot scene, and apparently they got it after like eight days of trying to get that shot. And it's not a CGI sunset; it's a real sunset. You know, it it's incredible. I'm just saying, there's like inconsistencies in how the security works on this ship. I <laughs> there yeah. are, and it's also very bizarre that we get like in the beginning voiceover, um, like from Kate Winslet or from Rose, but of course, yeah, it's from Gloria, Stewart. Gloria Stewart's voice in the present day, and mm-hmm. I think that is used as like a plot device to kind of help Mm -hmm. things move along like i feel like we are introduced to young rose on the ship as hating her life for no reason at all and i think that's where rose comes across like a spoiled little brat at first because all she's Mm -hmm. saying is that like i'm trapped on this ship and all i want to do is scream at the top of my lungs and at that point in the movie we're like Scream about what? But, but what why? is wrong with your life? I, I feel like we're not given... I, I feel like it would have been stronger had we been given the information earlier. It's fine to meet someone and be like, why are they so miserable? And then learn. But I think mm-hmm. we should have been given the information of they that she's basically being forced into marriage to save her mother from yes. bankruptcy. Like, I think that that information... 
coming earlier so that we understand why she feels like she's in bondage, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that would have been stronger. Um, Obviously, a lot of other people don't care. Um, (laughs) They don't. Uh, And I think that's kind of a, a, a testament to this movie's success is... The actors, particularly Kate Winslet, sell oh, yeah. the shit out of this screenplay. This movie oh, yes. would not have worked if it were not for Kate Winslet and Leo DiCaprio. Oh, no, they no. they no. sell they don't sell the dialogue, but they sell the connection. They sell and they um, have they yeah. have great chemistry and chemistry. That that's chemistry, what that's the most important thing. Yeah, in ten years we'll talk about Revolutionary Road and how great mm-hmm. their chemistry is in that movie. You know, like, they they clearly work well together. They clearly like each other in real life. That's very, that's very obvious. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting, the, narrat- the narrative, the, the use of narration in this movie. Because um, we also get lots of scenes um, that Kate Winslet is not in. Um, and so, technically, the narrator is is telling us the story but we're seeing scenes without yeah. her so and again she's... i don't hate that i like how this is told like in flashbacks and this is the difference you know we talked um last week about another movie told in flashbacks which is um the english patient and how we talked about how that didn't work for us this is so much better than the english so much better patient. because you know there's nothing tying in the present day to the back beyond just the story that he's retelling the dialogue is better in the english patient it is, yes. But I think the use of this flashback structure worked better in Titanic because yes. of the ground laid down. However, I do think a majority of the very poorly written scenes are those ones taking place in the present day as they're uncovering yes. um, the Titanic and all of those scenes between the people... Um, on the ship trying to find the heart of the ocean. Yeah. Really, really weird stuff. Like, there's, I think there's a, and this is also actually more toward the end of the film. The one that really bothered me the most and stuck out the most was once the whole story is revealed and we understand that mm-hmm. the heart of the ocean is nowhere to be found. And what is the actor's name who leads the, this investigation? Oh, he just passed yeah. away. I, oh, uh, he was in a lot of James Cameron movies. I oh can't my gosh, think of his oh name gosh. right now. Bill Paxton. That is his name. The scene at the end between him and um, Rose's granddaughter when they realized the necklace is gone. <laughs> and he just like has this really weird line where he's like, all these years with Titanic and what was the point? And all she says is, yeah, I'm sorry. And that's the end of the scene. And I'm like, what was the point of this? This is so dumb. There's a lot of scenes like that where like you could take these out and it would work just fine. That's kind of an editing problem as well. But by and large, the biggest problem with this movie is the screenplay. So I just want to ask you, how important is it to you, Rans, that your best picture movie is at least nominated for screenplay? I'm not saying they always have to win screenplay, but how important is it to you that it's nominated for screenplay? Well, as somebody who likes to think of himself as a writer, TBD on whether or not I ever get paid to be one, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I... um, I think that I think that the script is incredibly important because I think it, it it's the it's the foundation of the entire without it without the story you don't have anything. And um very if you don't have a good script it is a titanic um undertaking to overcome that um in terms of production. 
And this movie may be the very, very rare example of a film that is able to overcome its own narrative short points to be an extremely entertaining film. And I'll tell you, you mentioned it, the reason why it overcomes that um, is because uh, Kate Winslet and and Leonardo DiCaprio uh, are so charismatic and entertaining just by state of being and they make us believe that chemistry that we end up caring about whether or not they get out. And then you also have the just immaculate production itself, which, uh, you know, it's been 25 years since this movie and the special effects look fantastic. And, you know, I don't, it, they used a mix of practical and CGI for this. Um, and I, I, there's a lot of times, there were a few moments where I thought like, oh, that's, um, that's CGI. But I think on a big screen, I don't think I would have even noticed if I was in a movie theater because it's so flawlessly put together. And the cinematography is, is gorgeous. And the lighting is fantastic. And the, oh, the um, golden lighting that they have. I mean, Leo DiCaprio is absolutely stunning in this movie. And it has to do with the lighting on him. He is golden throughout the entire film. It's beautiful. Okay, so what if Leo DiCaprio and Billy Sane had had a little hate fest scene? <laughs> you know, where... <laughs> and they kind of do. <laughs> I know. At that moment, aren't you a little bit like, I I think you guys should go somewhere and work this out. Um, tension. <laughs> there was a little bit of tension there. I think um, it's some subtext that so James Cameron was not men. intending for the movie, but I think it's there. <laughs> I, I see it there. Um, but that was yes. kind of a follow-up question for you. We talked about the biggest shortcoming, obviously, is the screenplay. But the things that make this movie work are the things that I think it won the most Oscars for. Technically, this movie is a huge achievement yes. in those areas you highlighted. Costume, yes. art direction, cinematography, the editing in this movie, the way it's shot. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Especially, I think, the score, too. This score oh, is yeah. unbelievably it, gorgeous. The way they, and also uh, is what I help Utilize think. the song. Well, it also helps... Um, make up for the shortcomings of the script because yes the beats are okay but the dialogue is garbage but the the score is helping us navigate through that by telling us what to feel in each scene how to sort of approach everything that is almost a better storyteller than the actual dialogue is if you just listen to the music underneath it yeah, it really, it, um, yeah. it really gives it a through line, which is why. Absolutely. It's and so the song. Song. Let's talk about the song. <laughs> I mean, this is a slam dunk original song, Oscar. You know, of course, uh, you don't hear it until the ending credits, but mm -hmm. um, but uh, you you hear it without the song itself throughout yes, the entire do. score. It's it's used quite liberally, but um, you know, Celine Dion. I, I mean, you can't 
there there's no faulting her voice uh she is uh one of our our treasured uh gay deities and um i encourage everyone to go watch a youtube video by rob anderson about the 30 gay divas in case you don't follow him or if you haven't seen it yet it is fantastic it talks about the 30 gay religions Celine is one of them um but uh yeah it's um it, it you don't it it's it's like um as time goes by it has that same quality that transcends the movie it's in when I say it's like as time goes by, I am not saying that Titanic is anywhere near the movie that Casablanca is, because <laughs> Casablanca has an absolutely immaculate, perfect script. But yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Titanic is uh, a monumental achievement with uh, great production all around. Exactly, and I think that's what it is. The production definitely helped. It helps the audience forgive the shortcoming of the screenplay, but there's one or just that... forget about them. Forget about them. In most forget cases. in general, you know. And the actors yeah. sell it. One actor in particular, Leo DiCaprio, we've talked about. I want to know from you why don't you think Leo DiCaprio was nominated for leading actor? You know, I don't think he has. I don't think his role provides maybe for as much depth as some of the other nominees do. You know. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of the performance for both him and Kate Winslet is is physical, you know, and I think that a lot of times a athletic performance, if you will, is undervalued uh, compared to something that's more emotionally taxing as opposed to physically taxing. And Leo, as much as he's one of Oscar's favorite bridesmaids. Um, he does eventually get his again for doing something physically demanding, but um, uh, I don't think it's a huge egregious uh, oversight in this case. I think he's I, I think, think he's right. really good, but I don't think it's I think it's fine. So I think you're right. I think you're right. So okay, um, um, is this? Have, oh, go ahead. I have a question before we get there. Go for it. What do you think? I have two things that I think could be the MacGuffin in Titanic. What do you okay. think the MacGuffin is? Well, it's something that would never show up. So it or can't be the iceberg. It isn't actually important to the... Like, it's not... Uh, it, it's the thing that's driving the plot, but is not actually important to the story itself. Keep that in mind. Well, I mean, there's the heart of the ocean... Which is kind of what the whole thing is based off of. You know, Bill Paxton is trying to find that. And that's what sets all these events into motion. So is it that, or is it the Titanic itself? Oh. I think it's the heart of the ocean, because okay, they talk in the beginning right about too. them being like treasure hunters. Basically, it's what they are. Yes, yes. I think you it's know? the heart of the ocean. But then I, when we were talking, I thought, wait, is the MacGuffin the Titanic? And then I... I like, is that the thing that's actually, like, just what's there to keep the plot going and it's not actually important? And the story is just actually about liberating Rose? The MacGuffin Which, is naked Kate Winslet. When we see all the photographs of what Rose has done in her life at the end, um, it does seem that the point of the story, or at least what the point they're trying to make the point of the story, is uh, that Rose broke free and became her own person, literally, yes. because she pretends that she died. So, correct. 
wonder if anybody ever went like, she wasn't on the passenger list. Who is this person? (laughs) (laughs) There's a couple of plot holes going on here. (laughs) Okay, of the five nominated films for Best Picture this year, which, as a reminder to everybody... They are As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and Titanic. Which of these five is your best picture winning film? Apology to all the Titanic heads out there, but L.A. Confidential. I like that pick. And that's your best picture winner of any movie that year, too? Yes, my best picture of 1997. My best picture of 1997 is Goodwill Hunting. I kind of have had a feeling that's where you have a feeling (laughs) a bit more dramatic. (laughs) Um, Well, LA confidential is really dramatic. I don't know why it is dramatic, but what's fun is we also (laughs) choose a lighthearted romp. We picked the two that won screenplay awards, original and adapted. Those because that's what we appreciate. That is what we you and I are all about the writing. This is like, and what was our problem last year with The English Patient? Again. Bingo. Well, if you have bad writing from the start, the movie is not going to work unless we're learning here. Every other facet has to be operating at 100%, like Titanic And I think that's an exception to the rule. Because there are plenty of movies that have absolutely stellar productions that that do not overcome their script. That fall flat. You're right. I I think Titanic is ultimately saved by the action of the movie. Watching the second half of this film as the Titanic sinks is incredible to withhold and oh, such an so, achievement to so actually put on film like that. That is the monumental know, achievement of this. As it that's you know it works because as hokey as some of the stuff is in the first half when we get to the ending which is very hokey I kind of felt a little emotional watching it even yes. though I, I, you know, even though part of me was like, so, <laughs> part of me was like, so these people who live full lives before they died on the Titanic, their, their existence is just to live, they go to heaven and live on the, <laughs> a nice Titanic for the rest of their lives, <laughs> even though they had lives and friends and family of their own that had nothing to do with that ship. They are stuck on the Titanic together forever. <laughs> right? <laughs> I you was think like, that's I don't the know. last place they'd want to spend eternity. <laughs> You know, and like, honestly, Rose and Jack fell in love on the Titanic, but they spent most of their time running away from people trying to hide, even when it was, I mean, like, I'm just saying that's not where I would want to spend <laughs> the rest of my life, the place where I had the most horrific thing ever happen to me. <laughs> um, You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But yes, it is, it is very emotionally affecting. I, you know, I don't, why did that come up again? I don't know why we why we went back to titanic <laughs> I don't know, ultimately, we're like we can't stop talking the about writing titanic, such a good we were movie. talking about the writing but titanic it's ultimately an incredibly simple story painted over the backdrop of this incredible special effects show of the titanic sinking sort of in real time you Which know because they, they say you know, titanic will sink in about an hour is what they say and that is what we watch the hour of the titanic sinking and you know you mentioned it's a simple story, and I think that when you get to something that has mass appeal like this, that isn't part of a larger cinematic universe, mind you, mm-hmm. um, it all comes down to having a simple story and the fact that this one was set up against a very well-known disaster that has captured people's attention for more than a century. 
I still will say the best movie ever about the about the Titanic is the 1950s A Night to Remember. And if you'd ever get a chance to see it, I know James Cameron was inspired in part by that movie. It's all real all real people in the characters uh, based all on diary entries and whatnot. And it is an absolutely incredible film. And I watched it 100 years to the day of the sinking at the TCM wow. Festival. They played a screening and they timed the screening so that it's so that, you know, we were here on the West coast. So the, when it hit and everything, it was a few hours earlier. So we watched it on April 12th, uh, 2012. Um, and uh, when when it started, uh, when it the sinking happened, they timed it so that the iceberg hit at exact the mo at the exact moment when we were wow, watching that's it. Insane. So that was that was a really cool experience. But even though that movie has the one detail about the split, the the, the they did not realize the ship had split until they didn't have confirmation that had happened until they found the ship. Mm-hmm. So um, so the movies from before from uh earlier than i think the 80s when they found the ship they don't depict it splitting but um other than that detail i highly recommend that if you enjoy titanic watch a night to remember great let's get into what we're going to talk about next week the 1998 best picture winner shakespeare in love have you seen this movie Uh, this is going to be my first time sam i've never seen shakespeare in love Oh my god, I'm so excited for you. I'll just say it right now, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and one of my favorite winners of all time. So I am so curious to hear what you're going to think tough about this year. movie, because this could go... I'm this honestly not year. sure what you're going to think of it. It's a tough year. We got this a really a very big Spielberger. Year. A really big Spielberger this year. We do have a big Spielberger. We have um, we have Spike Lee joints, and we have Steven B- Spielbergers. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, I'm very curious to hear what you are going to think of Shakespeare in Love, and that'll be a fun discussion. So join us next week. We'll talk about Shakespeare in Love and the Academy Award winners of 1998.